Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Do you love books? Do you love movies? Well, if you love books and movies, this is the show for you. It's called Adapted, and today we're talking about Silence of the Lambs, both the movie and, of course, the book by Thomas Harris. Stay tuned. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It's February. Yes, it is. And we are celebrating the 30th anniversary of Silence of the Lambs, a novel by Thomas Harris. We have the one and only Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. And I'm your host, Phil Svitek. A couple things right off the bat. First off, if you've never seen this show or or watched this show... um, Welcome. Understand? Yeah, welcome. <laughs> welcome to the show. Hope you guys enjoy it. We're going to compare the book to to the movie, of course, the comparisons, the differences, and so forth, so why, why things worked, why things didn't. And, of course, we kind of assume that you've at least had a little bit of background because we're going to get pretty spoiler-filled, so you've been mm-hmm. forewarned. And secondly, you can get our rundown in the description box. There's a link there to a PDF. That way you guys can follow along in the various things that we have to offer to you beyond just this wonderful show. Uh, as we always do, overall thoughts. Marissa. Okay, so I admittedly have not seen the full movie of Silence of the Lambs. I've seen just about like 75% of the movie. Um, and I, for some reason, I never saw the whole thing. And now being an adult and I'm really into mystery, murder, mystery movies and, and books, you know, I, th- I thought, hey, this would be a good story to cover. And we know it's the 27th anniversary of the movie, so it's a it's very timely and but it's also a very timeless story. And I, I think it's so cool to go back and read it now. As an adult, I have a bigger and better appreciation for the story and and the the book and the movie. And I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I I, I really appreciate. The book, the um, I Silence of the Lambs was a movie that a lot of my friends were obsessed with, and rightfully so. Now, having seen it very recently again, but I n- it never had that thing for me because I I just wasn't there able to appreciate in the way that, as you said, uh, the timing wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And so, in reading this book, I, I wanted to start with the book first, and it just. It really, when they say page turner, this was a page turner. Well, number one, the chapters are quite short, mm-hmm. uh, and they're very fast paced and a lot of action, a lot of detail, but quick detail where within one sense you kind of understand and and, and know people's backstory. And it's a very psychological thriller, so that's very important to get the insight on various characters. And I thought it did it really well, so I, I absolutely enjoyed it. It it, uh, it moved really well. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I forgot just how excruciating detailed the Harris is in his writing. I've only read Hannibal, um, other like for his other work, and so I'm not really well versed into the Harris writing style. And then reading this, this book is so detailed, and you really can't miss a page, or you'll be lost. Absolutely, um, and you know, I, I I appreciate how he really got into this. I, he, you know, he's written a lot of great other novels that that you've talked about, um, Hannibal being one of them, and and so forth. 
But as far as this one, so, you know, there is a trilogy of, of Lecter books, uh, this being the second of the two. Um, and in the, you and I both read the 25th anniversary edition of the book. Mm-hmm. And in it, um, that was actually a big thing because he re- finally revealed his inspiration for who Lecter was. Uh, now, obviously, it's not verbatim, but there was a, quote, Dr. Lecter that he, that he got to meet. Um, at a Mexican prison, and it's a quite a fascinating story, and I, it, it just drew me in so much. Um, the same way, basically, uh, Clarice's first interaction with Lecter is pretty much in keeping with how um, Harris felt when he met. Um, they call him Doctor Salazar. Doctor Salazar, and I think it's fascinating because you you read these stories, and they're so eerily realistic and when you realize it is based on um like some semblance of truth and rooted in reality um knowing that there is another person like dr Lecter out in the world is terrifying so when you kind of like get the sense of what their conversation would be like and just the feel and the tone it's it's actually fascinating to read knowing that something like this really did happen in the world absolutely and and what's Interesting, though, is oftentimes writers will, you know, put things from their perspective. One of his favorite authors is Ernest Hemingway, and we just actually did a farewell right. to arms, so right. how poignant yeah. that is. Yep. Uh, but Hemingway wrote from, you know, first-person perspective. Bukowski, same thing, and, and you know, um, James Joyce mm-hmm. typically does the same thing. And so where I'm going with that is it's even though the the experience was quite similar, to have the protagonist be a female is actually an interesting and big switch. Yeah, and I think it's great because we're in a big movement of you know industry and just um, career industry in and of itself, where women are coming to the forefront, rightfully so, and they're giving, they're being like allowed bigger spotlights and not bigger opportunities. And I think this movie and this story came out only 30 years ago. So to have a woman at the forefront of such a male-dominated um, career in industries such as the FBI and, and and law in and of itself, I think it's it's really um, touching and very important um, to have a female like get engrossed into such a dark, masculine world. This is jumping a little ahead, but it's you know it ties in more nicely here. The fact that the FBI, as far as the movie was concerned, they really got behind it because they knew if they if they were able to present the FBI and do it justice, um, and that's not to say like you couldn't you know have moments of bureaucracy and so forth like mm-hmm. they did in both the book and the movie, um, but that it, it was it would be a good tool to recruit women. Yeah, and I think that's brilliant also. Um, and for anyone who's fans of Silence of the Lambs of the book or the movie, I think would also be fans of Criminal Minds. That uh, is a show on CBS, which I'm obsessed with. But it's a great show where um, there are strong female women in the FBI profiling serial killers every single week. And I, that's also something to just gravitate towards when it's like this current season, not to put a timestamp on our show, but uh, the, the main... 
uh, cast is actually led by a woman. So, and I think, and that's in the FBI. So, it I, I love when you know they put women at the forefront, and it, it tells a very interesting. Is that there's some nurturing aspects to it, and um, kind of I don't want to say passive, but um, a more understanding voice that a lot of people can understand and relate to. Absolutely. Um, and as far as one, one of the nice things was when you read the book, you, you, you understand wholeheartedly why someone would want to adapt it. Mm-hmm. Grant, yeah, each of the chapters was so quick and yet so visual that I could, if, if a movie was allowed to be four or five hours long, I could see this entire mo- this book working as a movie. Um, you have a lot of action. You have a lot of gore and even the graphic images, that, you know, with the photos of past victims and so forth, the mystery elements, um, you know, and we'll talk about all these things when we get to the movie, but the jailhouse scenes, um, the debates, of course, Buffalo Bill's house, yeah. um, and just the geography and locations, and who can forget the flashback scenes? No, of course not. And I think what was great, uh, if you're not getting violence or gore or anything every chapter had progression as short as the chapters were we were always going somewhere whether it be we learned more new information about the case or more more information about the victim or about buffalo bill um there was always something we were learning every episode uh (laughs) every chapter which felt like there was some progression in some way moving forward and that's what i liked about it that's why i made this book so intriguing to follow along <clears throat> and one what the thing that it did really well is it, it was able to build the mystery and every little piece once you knew and it was revealed how it fits into the larger puzzle it made sense and it always had that aha moment and the great part was you had a lot of those aha moments mm-hmm and that's what I appreciate. I, I love when they're able to really piece it together because there are some books and even some movies where things come out of nowhere and you feel like they kind of were like, okay, we layered this in a bit ago, but it's like, nah, you really didn't. It, it doesn't fully tie in. Right. And uh, that's what's also good about the book because it did feel like a giant puzzle that was slowly coming together. Um, it didn't feel all over the place, even though we were going from person to person or case to location, whatever. Um, you still learned enough about what was happening in a chapter to still like put the pieces together. And eventually, at the end, it all came together and, and everything lined up. And one of the things I'm actually most surprised about was you know it was to me it was a bold move the fact that we meet buffalo bill fairly early on i think certainly by page 100 mm-hmm. this this book's a little over it's almost like 350 pages not quite but around there so that we meet him in the first third of the book that's pretty early from what i would have guessed yeah, I mean, and I think it's also good to, I'm going to make another comparison to Criminal Minds. They're very formulaic as well, and I felt this book had that, that same formula where, like, we introduce the case and introduce the people who are a part of it, and we learn more about it, and then we eventually see another murder of the same person, and then we eventually see the killer, and then we go back to the people that were introduced at the beginning. There, there's a formulaic... Um, thing. So you learn this case, then you see another murder, then you go back to it. And this book had the same thing. And I'm, I'm glad that they showed 
Buffalo Bill early on because we can understand like what his ruse was trying to get the girl on pretending that he, he he was injured so he got empathy from people so and and I think it's smart you you establish him yes he is a person but also just the way he acts and why he does things and the language you know, they they captured it with this with the movie um so this is where we start to get more into spoiler territory. I know I said that, but now we're going to really dive in. Um, when he has Catherine in the movie in in his little um, well, it, pretty much what it is, uh, hole, whatever you want to call it. Pit. Yeah, the pit. He calls her it because he doesn't want to identify her as a human being, which works for the movie, but the way – the the narrative works it does it goes so much deeper because you get all the senses um you start to get into his perspective of the way it just continues to repeat the word it 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 mm-hmm. and also delving into his mind too showing that he doesn't see a human he doesn't in a way he is a sociopath and doesn't he can't distinguish right from wrong and realize that this is a human that he's trying to murder um and and he really like dehumanized this woman to the point where he kept calling it it and it just shows like how mentally messed up he is when he doesn't even realize this is a human yeah and and um no 100 and he identified with his dog and so there was that um but definitely very interesting um in terms of that psychosis, and I appreciate from that perspective that we were able to explore that very early on, and it's it's always an interesting choice because at that point it becomes dramatic irony. Uh, the name in the book, in particular, was very well spelled out so much so that they you know there's a whole paragraph on just his pronunciation because mm-hmm. it's supposed to be James, but it's not because someone made a clerical error at the hospital and so forth. Um, so even that. Even from the beginning of his life, you start to identify, hey, you already know who it is, but then you know beyond that who he actually is, which is to say, like, he's been fucked with since birth. Yeah. And I think it's also really smart um, establishing him as a human. They gave him a human name. This is how you spell it. He is a human at the end of the day. And it just kind of... His character just derails so much by the time we actually see him and see him go through all these actions. Ironically, he's more animal than he is human. And I think that's just, it was done, told literally brilliant, really. Yeah, and the biggest mistake that um, good old Dr. Chilton and everyone else sort of made about Lecter was pinning him as a monster. Um, And that was their mistake, is Clarice has that. Clarice is the only person that he's interacted with that that's gotten actual answers out of Lecter, and I think it's because she she didn't approach him like a monster. Yeah, they, they, both in the movie and the book, there's very much a power play there. Mm-hmm. No one's going to deny that. But um, one of the things that the movie does brilliantly to um, take Harris's sort of uh, spirit of text and translate it is. Every time we get brought up the notion of Lecter, he's a monster, he's a monster, he's this. And when she's going down that row of cells, at first it's a somewhat normal uh, person. Then a, someone who's a little bit more crazier. And then the third cell with the guy who ejaculates on her is crazy as can be. So you're thinking, holy fuck, 
I'm going to meet Lecter. How crazy is this guy? And no, he's crazy, but he's in the most stoic sort of way. Where it's eerie just because he's just standing, staring at you. And I think it's brilliant. And, you know, Anthony Hopkins is a brilliant actor. That's why he won Best Actor for, for this role. But it, and I think the movie does a great job and, and the book establishing that these people are so mentally deranged that you can't think of them as regular people anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like you see them as animals, you see them as monsters. And they establish that in the reader's mind that. You, whoever she meets, whoever this lector is, is going to be the same way. But uh, also him standing there was very, I mean, yes, he is human, but no human stands like that stoic also. And he was so rare. proper just the, even the way he, I, I forget exactly what he says in the book, but in the movie it's, good evening, Clarice. Mm-hmm. He knew her name. <laughs> Already. Yeah. So, and I mean, he, he's brilliant because... He knows so much information and that he shouldn't. And that's what's also scary. A hundred percent. And and then that's the it's it's a very fun cat and mouse game, both in terms of the book and the movie, is like how much does he know? How much does he know about me? And does he know that I know that he knows that she knows that, you know? Exactly. <laughs> it gets into that territory and it makes her head spin. Right. And but also it just shows the brilliance of Dr. Lecter when he knows that he could benefit from this relationships yeah, i don't even want to call it a relationship but this you know correspondence that he has with clarice that he could get something out of it um moving cells and getting more information about her life learning about her and maybe using that information against her i was worried <laughs> like i was worried for her life I was like no don't because the uh, when chilton at the beginning, was giving her all the physical instructions, like, don't do this, don't tell him, or even Crawford. Crawford was like, don't tell any personal things. You do not want Dr. Lecter in your head. And then she eventually gets to a point where she tells a personal story. It was like, no, this is not going to be good for you, Clarice. Yeah, and, and one of the things that made it worse is we know what happened to the last person that was basically Starling. Yeah. <laughs> so that didn't go so well. Bit her ear off. <laughs> and tongue and like completely deformed her, <laughs> disfigured yeah. her. So definitely not good there. Um, but that's a great point to bring up. Let's let's talk about this. Um, you know the the book that I again the twenty fifth anniversary edition one uh, it has a great opening letter, and it actually talked about you know he didn't have a title necessarily for the book initially, and then as he wrote the last sentence, which is literally you know the silence of the lambs. He knew that would be the title. And as we're talking about her backstory and so forth, that's her. So I, I want to kind of get from your perspective a, you know, I don't think it takes a genius to figure out what the metaphor is, but but uh, what is the deeper meaning and what what is the takeaway for a reader or, in the movie's case, the, the movie? Well, when I first, because admittedly I hadn't seen the whole movie, so I didn't know the title of Silence of the Lambs either. So that that always intrigued me. But reading this, her backstory, it pretty much like made her not more human in a way, or more relatable when she was so traumatized by a sound that all she wants to do is do anything to silence it. And um, and I loved how she correlated that with work. She was like, if I can figure out this case and save this woman 
it, it might put an ease to my mind and I don't have to think about something as traumatizing as lambs being slaughtered. Um, it, it just related, it, it made it more of a relatable um, moment where someone can relate to trauma and you'll do anything to not um, think of that trauma anymore. Kind of like a PTSD in a way. Yeah, and you know, obviously the, the, the lambs themselves in this case represented the women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... Um, yeah, it's just, I mean, eventually the, the language of the book became so singular in terms of referring to, uh, Catherine Baker as a lamb that she needed to save. Otherwise, uh, she was going to be haunted by this. And so, so I did appreciate that. If I had one criticism of the movie, uh, it didn't capture that as much. I I think there, there was... I'm not saying it should necessarily focused on it more. I, I don't know what could have been done. You know, there were those moments, just like in the book, where Lecter orders lamb chops, and yeah. they make mention to it, like, why does he need lamb chops? It was very tongue-in-cheek kind of moment. Um, yeah, I, I think it was just, it made, cl- I felt like it, this story, personal backstory, gave Clarice more motivation to find this woman. <laughs> and um, I like that because it gave her drive and she was determined to do anything to stop it and and i think the movie actually does a great job of showing like the newspaper clippings and stuff five women it was women 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 all over like it's not being affected by males it was uh, it was women being affected and i think to and then to correlate with women and lamb she was just so determined to end both of it well let me ask you this as far as, yes, it was women that were being affected in her. But f- ironically, for the purpose of being used to create, quote-unquote, a beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. So, how messed up is that? It's very messed up, especially that this was a male doing this. Because, But I think the book also does establish a great job of... This man is severely confused. He wants to be a woman. He applied to different hospitals so he can have a, an operation to be changed for a sex change. So I think that I think the movie also does a great job of showing that too. But it is just a twisted mentality of thinking: if all right, if hospitals aren't going to make me a woman, I'm going to make myself to be a woman. Well. The deeper-rooted part of that is the fact that Lecter Lecter reveals, like, he doesn't want to be a woman because he feels like he he is a woman. He he wants to be a woman because he thinks he is a woman. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to, to, like, highlight the subtlety, and I I wish I had that line underlined and can quote it 100%. But it's the fact that, like, he doesn't actually want to be a woman. That makes it so sickly. You know, because I, and I don't know how this would change it in any sort of way. Uh, certainly not good that you're killing women to become a woman, but like the the fact that he's not wholehearted about it mm-hmm. certainly doesn't earn him any brownie points. No, absolutely not. But just going through these actions of killing women just so you can build a suit for yourself to make you feel better is also very twisted and demented. <laughs> yes. The starting position was never good to begin with. No, I agree there. No. <laughs> um, 100%. Uh, 
Perfect. Um, but fascinating. It is fascinating. <laughs> yes. You have to admit that. Yes, indeed. Um, all right. So as we transition kind of talking about the differences and in, in, in the movie, let's talk about kind of how the movie got made because it is interesting. Um, this is kind of cutting to the chase and we'll backtrack, but it essentially got sold for free. Yeah, I mean, that's that's crazy, but it's also really interesting. Back in uh, 1988, Gene Hackman, of all people and all actors, um, he actually wanted to buy the rights to this novel early on when, like, this book was just published or while it was still being written. So, like, in the early phases of this book, he wanted the rights to it, and then uh, he actually withdrew um, knowing that he, he has played a slew of dark, dark roles lately in his career at that time he's like i he didn't want to add another dark role such as um and a dark story such as this to his repertoire so he backed out and then the rights were were up again and they they got and i jody foster was actually herself looking for the rights and then she found out um gene hackman had him and all that uh it's it's quite a fascinating story but it all sort of came together um, believe it or not, uh, before that, Manhunter, which was a, a, another Lecter movie, mm-hmm. came out, and uh, it was shit. <laughs> it didn't do so good. Yeah, not as well as this one also. So, like, Orion Pictures picked up the rights after Gene Hackman uh, gave it away. And then uh, Dino De Laurentiis, who had produced Manhunter, you know, passed on this, and then it went to Orion. So, and it, so it went through the hands of a few people before ultimately uh, getting made. But while this was... Uh, well, Ted Talley, um, who, who was helping with this novel, uh, this ad- or with the adapt- adaptation, um, the financing actually went through. It, like, fell through. Mm-hmm. But it was Orion's president, Mike Metavoy, who urged uh, them to keep going. I'm glad they, they, they did, and it certainly paid off because it ended up being, you know, very rarely do you get a critical and box office hit. With an opening weekend, they made back their budget. Yeah. I mean, so that's always a good sign. Very successful, and that was before, like, internet was a thing, and, you know, social media to help spread the word, word of mouth. So this was, like, based on just story and merit alone. And it was one of three films to end up winning... Um, uh, to win top five Oscars for Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Director, Best Picture, Best Screenplay. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's the holy grail right there. Yeah, I mean, and but the the acting in this movie is fantastic. Uh, Jodie Foster was great. Um, she she played such a strong woman, and like in you you know me, I, I love women in strong roles. But she she was. Not, um, a person who was like very determined and didn't let anything face her. She knew the career that she was going into, and she was so determined to find out any information. Going against her own mentors, be like, if you do this, you, you might um, like that might mess up your education and your cycle. You might have to leave school for a bit to come back. It'll ruin your education. And she, she didn't care. She was so determined to find. Um, you know that this woman that she's like no i'm doing it for for her <laughs> for her you know i'm doing it for humanity yeah i thought i thought everyone translated extremely well from book to movie the only one and this is uh, it, it 
I think he translates well, but in terms of how he, they translate him was Jack Crawford. Simply because in the book, there's such a deeper th- aspect to Crawford because he has to deal with his wife passing away. Mm-hmm. In the movie, you don't get any of that. And so you just naturally have to play it a little bit differently. So I think look-wise, he, he, Scott Glenn nails it. But in terms of what's on the page, it doesn't, you know, they just omitted it. That's yeah. all. I'm, I'm glad that Crawford didn't end up being a bad guy because they establish him as Clarice's superior, basically her boss. It's like, okay, watch out for him because he, he might just use her and then be done. Um, but I'm, I'm glad at the end of the story and of the movie that he, he, he was actually proud of his quote-unquote student. And um, so to, to have a superior authority actually approving of his, a student, I was like, okay, he, he's, a, he's a good guy. Chilton, I think they did a great job of um, showing that, that sexism and um, patriot, patronizing aspect of who Chilton was. I think they, they touched upon that pretty well. And they, they were able to capture it within the movie in the fewest amount of lines. Like, you know, he obviously is quite deplorable in the way he just looks at Clarice in terms of sexuality. And then, so they, they were able to capture that quite quickly uh, within the movie. And then um, just him having the news report of, like, uh, spelling out his name. Just five seconds of screen time, but you know what a deplorable character he is just by that. Right. He just wanted to take the credit, even though Clarice did all the work. Um and and but also I think the book does a great job of establishing establishing Chilton a little bit better because when there was that time Chilton let Clarice in and he's like I could have been doing something else and then the book literally uh, has Clarice profiling him being like this is a sad man who has nothing going on in his life who's completely single and alone and like this is the only happiness he gets is going to this one event. Um, so it just shows that he he doesn't have a great life. He treats other people like crap because his life is pretty much crap. Um, and you don't get that in the movie. You just see him as a jerk. Yeah. What's interesting to me, I, I really think the movie did a wonderful job. Uh, they knew exactly which plot points and subplots to eliminate. Mm-hmm. As I was watching it, uh, I would say that the first 100 pages are pretty much exactly the same. Uh, but what I realized, I was like, oh, we're an hour into this movie, and we're only a third into the story of the book. Yeah. So eventually they had to cut, obviously cut stuff out, and um, some of the love stories. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And I think the movie did a good job. She Clarice was just sexualized left and right, and she knew it. And obviously, that's a big part of the book and the movie. But um, you know, the but it also affects the ending because she does find a love interest, and the way that the lector um, thing that gets tied up is a little bit differently, which is interesting to know. Yeah, and I think uh, it's also good that they kind of got rid of the love stories because they don't add to the actual case. Um, of of the movie, it is as much as I love love stories. It doesn't help move the mystery aspect of this movie along. We're not getting answers from relationships. We're getting answers from actual evidence and um, going to places and figuring out people and people and and stuff like that. So that I actually didn't mind. Um, I was surprised that they 
like Frederica, the character, um, was essentially completely cut from the movie. I think they might have mentioned her, her name once, but yeah. um, Frederica was a big character near the end of the book because Clarice actually goes to her place and gets all the inf- like the exposition answers that she needed. Yeah, um, a lot of a lot of the victims' names and and just time let's say got definitely cut down in the movie yeah. and we obviously had to cut to the chase kind of there um and uh, you, w- one of the things i appreciated truly about the movie is all these things converging because um the fbi is going to chicago they, they think they have him boom we hear the doorbell they ring the doorbell we hear the doorbell so visually we're connecting these things together and then the, the rug gets pulled out underneath whereas in the book it's just kind of more straightforward there there i'm mm-hmm. off gonna do my thing oh boom uh which so both work they do well to, to be honest I, I i truly appreciate um the movie version actually to be honest yeah the movie does a great job of actually making sense like oh this is all happening at once yeah. <laughs> this is literally at the same moment and i think that's what movies do does so well when it comes to time the only way we can actually really see time is visually is in movies if you mm. think about it like or time lapses you can't really it's so hard to see time progression just looking at it you have to visually see it over a period of time which movies does do a great job at um and also i did love the the fact that it was in chicago or like calumet which is actually outside of chicago but it does actually make historical accuracy because um, there's actually studies out there, because I watched so many episodes of Criminal Minds, I know this, that the the biggest populations of serial killers actually come from Chicago. Yay. <laughs> I was like, so way to go, Illinois, for go Chicago. serial killers. My home state. Now's your chance to move out. Yep. The more you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. That's actually two facts. So having Buffalo Bill like be set in Chicago, I was like, yeah, that, that would make sense. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I appreciate that in both, she was able to piece together the, you know, uh, the idea that the first victim, he drowned because he wanted it to appear random. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was great. The, again, this, the, the movie captured the spirit a hundred percent. And if you're an author whose movie, whose book is going to be adapted into a movie, you would hope for this. And not because of, yes, it got the accolades and things like that. But that's a byproduct of the passion that went into understanding that book and saying, hey, we want to do this justice. So kudos for all of that. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's funny because, you know, reading this book and then watching the movie, they actually did a really great job of keeping everything just about the same. The things that Mm -hmm. they managed to keep, things are pretty much the same in detail. And even when it came down to the lines, they were almost if not word for word. So the moments that they wanted to keep, it was very true to the story, um, Hmm. to the source material, which is what you appreciate. Because we see so many other times where in movies they keep the the elements or like just the the moments, but they change like one or two things. But this, it was pretty much the same. Well, sometimes worse, they change the spirit. 
Yeah. And that's worse. I mean, I don't mind it, them having to change things from one medium to another, but when you change the spirit, that's when, ah, you don't, you don't have me there. All right. But even then, like, Hector es- escapes, and we had a whole excruciating few chapters of, like, what he's doing to these poor guys, these guards that he took the crap out of. Um, like, even that was down to the exact same detail. And the blood on the ceilings and being in the elevator, like, everything was... Basically, what you saw and read in the book. Yeah, uh, and and it was so great done visually to see Pembry's face on Lecter. That was <laughs> that did not look like a prosthetic. No, um, and it's so visually scaring too because it's it's red, so automatically you see violence and gore, and you think danger because it's just the pure symbolism of red. But to see him rip it, like take it off, and it's like peeling and bloody, and but that's just how depraved Lecter is too. That that doesn't faze him at all. But when you're <laughs> a regular bystander uh, audience member like us, you're visually horrified yeah and and the book does an extremely good job it's something that the movie couldn't do unless it was like some cheap graphic cop out it would just made it cheap um but his heart rate Lecter's heart rate never went up and in fact that's how if you really read the lines and you can pick it up um they tested his heart rate uh very early on before they knew okay it's Lecter and they're like wow his heart rate's not that high Mm mm-hmm Boom, lights should go off of, oh, it's because it's Lecter and his heart rate never goes up. Now, for Lecter, it was, I, I think it was like 90. For him, that was boom, right. boom, boom. Was like, that was a lot. Where the regular BP is 120 over 80, and then he, they say his heart rate never goes above 80, and so to go 90, which isn't a lot, really, in human form, but for him is astronomical. Which is a way of saying... As gruesome as it is, he finds no excitement in it. It's just matter of fact. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I'm playing by the books. I'm going through the movements. No, no f's to give. No, and I think the only thing that really raised his heart rate was because he was moving more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was like physically he had to like move bodies and stuff. So like that that just pushes your heart just a little bit. Absolutely. Well, as we kind of start to close out, one of the things. You know, as far as this movie, the, you have childhood drama, abandonment, and all these things that I think thematically people attach to, um, and obviously the mystery element. So, A, the movie holds up, the book holds up, but then this idea of Lecter. I mean, he's he's a, a very iconic character, not just Anthony Hopkins, but but Hannibal. Mm-hmm. You know, you've had TV shows, you've had, you've had musical parodies of this guy. Yeah. And I think for what what's great about Hannibal Lecter, he's only in like a handful of scenes in the movie and in the book. Like you, Clarice and Hannibal only talk to each other four times. That's it. But they are so memorable every single time that that's all you remember of the movie, really. Um, but it, I think is they're just so good and so well established characters that just in a short amount of screen time, they're they're super memorable. And that's what made them win Academy Awards. He, I mean, he was, they clock him in at 24 minutes and change. For best actor, that's not a lot of screen time. No, it's not. I've seen supporting actors have way more on screen time than that. Yep. 
and, and, and like he he killed it. And also Jodie Foster um, said in an interview when she was working and filming uh, Silence of the Lambs that she was so afraid of Anthony Hopkins, she barely looked at him um, even during the filming scenes because there are moments where uh, Anthony Hopkins is just staring straight at the camera, breaking the fourth wall, which makes it petrifying because he's looking, peering into your soul. Um, a lot of times she's not even like in front of him. She's hiding, literally physically hiding behind the camera because she can't even look at him. She's so terrified. And then at the end of filming, she went up to Anthony. She's like, I'm sorry, like I avoided you because you, you, you were so scary. And uh, Anthony Hopkins was like, I thought you were scary. <laughs> so, like, had they known that they, they could have actually had more fun together while filming, um, it, it's, it's, you know, just irony, really. But, yeah, she... But I mean, it, it worked out, and it's, it's it's tough, you know? Like, when, when a movie... When you work on a movie like this, you, there's a... I don't want to use the word seriousness that goes into it. Like, you can obviously take the craft of comedy quite seriously, but... You're going to have a lot more fun on that versus, okay, i got to be in character. Right. Um, and they did a good – visually, they did a great job um, now that you bring it up. A lot of the scenes were with everyone kind of framed to center. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you couldn't avoid their gaze, which was interesting. Yeah. Or there, there was a moment where uh, Hector – Hannibal Lecter, Hector. Um, uh, Hannibal Lecter was sitting down, and he was kind of. It was like rule of thirds. He was on the right side of the screen, but when he turned his head, he was staring right down in the middle. Um, it was just like brilliant blocking for as easy as a uh, two-person scene that it was to have a glass partition between you is frightening and they also use the glass for like a really good dramatic effect too when you see clarice's face but then you see lector's um like reflection in it he's still looking at her absolutely and as far as the book the book switches purposefully tenses between present and past and a lot of the chapters especially early on kind of start with let's say the desk is yellow and then Clarice walked into blah, blah, So it kind of sets you up in terms of what is, and then you, you know, you're told from what happened. And in fact, a lot of, from what I remember, the Buffalo Bill moments when he's being most gruesome are written in present tense. Because it takes you right to, uh, you know, you got floor seats to the action. <laughs> right. Well, that's... I mean, that makes sense, too, because you're engrossed in the actual, like, you're actually watching him doing it at in real time. Um, also very terrifying as well. Um, but, it, like, it brings you to that level of, like, you're in it. You're, you're also a witness of this, and you're the only one who knows yeah. out of everybody. Absolutely. Well... There's more we can definitely talk about, but hey, uh, we like to get the conversation started. That's what the comment section's for, to continue this dialogue, not just with us, but with you guys and so forth. We love participating. Uh, we're building our own little pirate ship. <laughs> this is, um, you know, we, we, we are getting to, we're getting to 10 episodes yes. soon enough. I believe this is our eighth book. Yeah, so... So slowly but surely, we're building our library, pun intended. <laughs> and so definitely check out past episodes. Let us know what you guys think that we should do moving forward. Speaking of things that we are going to do moving forward in honor of St. Patty's Day, we're going to read the book called Prove Innocent, the story of Jerry Con- Connell of the Guilford Four. And uh, that was adapted into the movie called In the Name of the Father. 
Yes. So uh, it's it's quite a brilliant movie for those of you who've seen it. Uh, Marissa and I have not, but I've been told great things. And so we're going to read the book. It's not a biography, so it's a little bit different, but hey, it'll be fun. Yeah, a different voice as well. Absolutely. And then uh, we're thinking about, uh, it's not set in stone 100%, but The Last of the Mohegans after that. Yes. So Both of these films starring Daniel Day-Lewis. That's right. That's the through line there. <laughs> uh, thank you guys, as always. In the meantime, follow at Serafini TV. That's right. And follow me at Phil Svitek or check out my website, philsvitek.com. Uh, continue to subscribe to this channel so you can get more of our episodes and other author interviews. And, of course, if you like what we do in terms of discussion of books and movies we do a movie show called anatomy of movie though of course there is crossover uh we're going to be doing a wrinkle in time so while we're not going to be covering it here as an adapted book uh we'll certainly talk about the book and of course the movie when that comes out i'm excited so check that out and thank you guys we'll see you next time on another adapted from executive producers kevin undergaro maria menounos and jeffrey masters Thanks for tuning in to Book Circle Online. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment. To suggest a book title or their author, you can tweet us at Book Circle On. This is Book Circle Online. Thanks for tuning in.